0: episode number 50. We need the help of an external, physical sacrifice in order for it to penetrate our hearts that will really change. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast, lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Alejo Mitterhoff with this week's Higher Life Podcast. The Torah portion of the week is Vaikra, Why Do Jews Bring Animal Sacrifices? Coming back to God. We're gonna have a powerful parable about the humble payback, a great story about Rav Shach and peace in your home, making compliments work. And now the Torah portion of the week, we can ideas from the classic commentaries. So the second passak in Vaikra says like this: Speak to the children of Israel and say to them: When a person from among you will bring an offering to Hashem, from the animals, from the cattle, and from the flocks, you shall bring your offering. And skipping over the third Pusik, the fourth Pusik says like this, and he shall lean his hands on the head of the Ola offering, and it will be considered a pleasing on his behalf to atone for him. So we see that the sacrifices will atone for the person bringing them. But the Mabim brought a very interesting explanation of the verse here. He says, if you look closely, you'll notice that the name of Hashem that we brought was the name of mercy, Yudke Vovke. And he brings Rev. Yosi from the Sifri, who explains, we never bring a korban a sacrifice to the Shem Elohim, to the name of God, which is the God of justice. It's always to the attribute of mercy. Because the heretics believe that there's two forces in the world. You have to appease the God of justice the source of bed and evil and destruction, and death. And then you have the merit to live. But that's not what the Jews believe. The Jews believe that you're bringing the sacrifice directly to God, the God of mercy, the true God, the one God. And it's Hashem, the attribute of kindness, which accepts the animal in place of the man. Really, because the man rebelled against God. He deserves to die. So we bring an animal in order to atone for our sin. But it's a question of coming back to a merciful God, God who is kulo tov, 100% good and kind. Now, this whole concept of offering animal sacrifices seems a little bit bizarre to us. We don't really understand it. So I want to explain it a little bit. Rev. dessler brings the Rambam who explains that the goats that are brought as a sin offerings on Rosh Chodesh, the new month, and on the festivals, comes to atone for the sins of Yosef's brothers. Why? Because they slaughtered a young goat, and they put that blood of that goat onto Yosef's garment, and they brought it back to their father to tell him that Yosef was dead. And that's the symbolism behind bringing a goat as a sacrifice on those days. So we see that the Rambam views these offerings as a kind of treatment for a spiritual defect lodged deeply in the subconscious of the nation. In other words, for all the generations we're going to bring this. Why? Because deep in our subconscious, we have the sin of the brothers against Yosef in our blood. It's in our psyche. It's a question of penetrating our subconscious to really understand what is sin, what we did wrong, and how we have to return. But it's not coming from a place of absolute judgment. It's coming from a place of kindness and love. I'm going to explain more. The Midrash in Vayikra explains... The Rebbe Shimon Bar Yochai said that God even showed the offering of the eifah, a measure of fine flour, to Avram Avinu. This was the most simplest offering. And the Shem Mishmu explains that this offering had neither oil or spices. What does that mean? Oil refers to good deed and toira. And the spices refers to the matriarchs, which means the good character traits that a man has, which comes from his mother. So this offering comes for someone who sinned, who has neither good deeds or Torah or good character, and still the offering is accepted. So the question is, how can it be that God accepts an offering from somebody who has no good deeds, no Torah, and not good character? Where's the justice? If that's true, everybody could just do whatever they want and then bring this offering, and then God would forgive them. So it must be... That even though this person is lacking in every way, he has one thing that's going to help him and save him. And that quality is that he wants to return to God. The and Mishle says, the offering of an evil person is abomination. So why is this person not an evil person? Because he's on the way back. He's on the way up. He's bringing an offering in order to return. And since that's true, he's not entirely out of the system. He's back in the system. And that's what it means that he's coming onto the attribute of chesed, of the kindness of God. He wants to return to God. It's not a question of appeasing the forces of destruction. God wants to kill us and destroy us because we sinned. It's not that. He's coming back to God as a son comes back to his father. But even so, in order to do this, we need to bring the animal sacrifices in order to penetrate our subconscious. It should should affect us, a real effect. You know we have the minhag, the custom, before Yom Kippur of Kippur. We take a chicken, we put it over our head three times, then we shek it in front of us. We watch the chicken be slaughtered properly. And it has an effect. And that's just a chicken. When you see that chicken slaughtered and you see the chicken die, it shakes you up in a way that nothing else could. This is why God wanted us to bring the sacrifices. This is what the Sforno says. When any man of you brings an offering, in other words, when he sacrifices himself, what do I mean to sacrifice yourself? Through confession and submission, like it says, so we will offer the words of our lips instead of our calves. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, for he has no desire for fools who bring offerings without sense prior to submission to God. It's not a question of bringing an offering. It's a question of submitting yourself to realizing that you're dependent on God. You need God. You can't live without God. You can't breathe without God. You can't exist without God. And he says it's coming to exclude, when it says mechem, from you, to exclude the apostate who says there is no God and I don't need God. I can do whatever I want. He further explains, and you shall lay his hands on his sacrifice. We know you put your hands on the sacrifice, all his body weight. As though he was falling down and praying to God that his iniquity be on the head of the sacrifice, similar to the scapegoat. And thus he will manifest the submissive thoughts of repentance which are in his heart. He's putting all of his body weight on the animal to transfer as if he's being sacrificed. The animal's being sacrificed. When he sees that an animal being sacrificed, it penetrates his heart that really he was supposed to die. He goes on further and says... It is proper that certain parts of the sacrifice be given to the Kohanim. Why? Because they're the servants of God who occupy themselves with his service. A symbolic exchange of the limbs of the sinner, which were used for evil doing. Since he used his limbs to sin, he's now giving the limbs of the animal to the Kohen, and the Kohen is using that Kohak to serve God. Because the Kohen uses his limbs to serve God. Like it says, the kolonim eat from the sacrifice, and the owners gain atonement. Gemara Pesachim, 59b. I know the idea of animal sacrifices seems very strange, but we have to understand this is the only way we're going to penetrate our subconscious, that it should really move us to come back with a full heart to our Creator. Ruben Bachi explains further. He says the reason why we take or behemoth, from domesticated animals, and not from wild animals that run around, is because the domestic animals are victims, much more than the wild animals who are aggressors. It brings it to the Gemara and Shabbos. It's better to be along the category of people suffering insults than to be part of the group that are insulting others. And no bird suffers more than the turtle doves and the pigeons, which are sacrifices that we bring. And that's why they're fit for the altar. The message is that we have to accept whatever God gives us. We have to understand it's kulo It's only kindness. The Pasik says, But those who love him be as the sun's rising might. That's talking about someone who is insulted and doesn't answer back. It will be like the sun. Because the sun was the first thing in creation to be insulted. The moon insulted him. And that's why the moon was made little. So all of the sacrifices and all the details of the sacrifices are there to teach us for us to change ourselves, which is a very difficult thing to change, very hard. We need the help of an external, physical sacrifice in order for it to penetrate our hearts that will really change. So that was true when we had the temple, we had the sacrifices. But today, what do we have? What do we do? So the Gemara in Brachos 26b says, Rabbi Shu Melevi said, our daily prayers correspond to the sacrificial offerings, the korban tamid, which was a burnt offering. And Rabbi Schwab wants to come along and explain that from the details of the sacrifices, we can learn how to pray. The Pasuk in Vayikra says like this, He shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron and the Kohen shall place it in the fire, and the Kohen shall burn it on the altar. So we can learn from these three things, the skinning, the cutting, and the burning. The skinning, he says, means to take away the physicality. When you pray, you have to take away your body and get in touch with your soul. And this is the way that we're going to change ourselves, through prayer. Since we no longer have sacrifices, we have to pray. So step number one in prayer is to remove the physical. The Orachayim brings down the early Hasidim, which spent hours before davening, trying to isolate themselves and concentrating and pushing away everything physical. So the way they dive in, they're really standing in front of Hashem. We have to withdraw inside of our minds and get in touch with our inner selves. And this is the thing that's going to help us to pray and help us to change. Number two, the cutting. The offering was cut into pieces. What does that mean? Nishbar lev, a broken heart, a humble heart. We have to break ourselves down. We have to realize how small we are. How powerless we are. And we sin. That's the Nishbar lay of a broken heart. And the third thing was, it has to be burnt on the altar. What does that mean? Hislavus, Enthusiasm. When you pray, you have to pray with all your energy. As if you're totally consumed on the altar. And this is what we have today instead of the sacrifices. This is the method of how to change. By applying ourselves in prayer. We know at the beginning of the Shemoneh it says like this, My Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. Why do we have to say that? Because if we pray properly, we've taken ourselves totally out of the physical. And we're standing there humble with a broken heart, even to the point where we can't talk. So we ask Hashem, please open my mouth, open my lips, that I should come back to you with a full heart. Here's a powerful parable to open your mind and help you reach your potential. So the Magin Meduba brings the Pasek, he says, and he shall slaughter the calf before Hashem. So he asks, why don't we use the word hakrav sacrifice, when it comes to this calf? ha also means to bring close, to sacrifice it or bring close. Why don't we use that language? So he wants to explain with the parable. One time there was a wealthy man who had two agents We sent out to sell his merchandise. He gave him a large quantity of stuff, 30,000 gold coins worth. But they were lax and it got stolen. So they were so embarrassed, so ashamed, they came back to him, they didn't know what to do. So the wealthy man realized there's no way these guys are going to be able to pay back this amount of money. So I'll have them pay one hundredth of the amount back, which is 300 gold coins, which is also a very large sum. So since it was so much, they could pay three gold coins a week. But one of the workers was really poor, and he could only pay back two gold coins a week. The other one had a little bit more money, so he decided to pay back four gold coins a week. But when the poor man came to pay him back, he received the money with a smile. And when the guy who had a little bit more money who paid the four coins, he received them with a cold shoulder. So his family didn't understand why the poor guy, you accept him with a big smile, he pays you less, and the other guy, you pay no attention to him. He says, listen, there's no way for these guys to pay back the loss that I incurred. But at least the guy who pays me less, he's ashamed. He's going to try harder in the future. He's going to change himself. But the guy who pays me more, he comes in with guy arrogant. He thinks he's doing me a favor. Because he pays a little bit more than I asked for. So he said, so too for Hashem. When we sin, there's really no way to pay Hashem back. There's no way to fix up what we messed up. The main thing is to have a broken and humble heart and seek Hashem's forgiveness. Therefore, somebody who cannot afford to bring a calf, he always comes in and he feels humble. But someone who brings a large ox comes in thinking, Wow, I provided riches for my Maker. He feels as if he's doing Hashem a favor, and that's why it doesn't say ha'kri that he comes close to God. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. The Pasach in Vayik, with 316 says, All the choices part should be for God. So the Rambam explains, Anything for the sake of Hashem should be attractive and good. If he feeds the poor, he should feed him from his best, from the sweetest things that he has. If he wants to bring something to the temple, he has to bring from his finest possessions. All the choices part are for Hashem. So one time, Rev. Mer Halevi Brambam went to Rev. Shach to get an appropriation for his book. Now Rev. Shach was over 90 years old. And he began to write, but it took him a very, very long time to write. It was very hard for him. He was writing two lines, letter by letter. Who knows how long it took him, 15 minutes? Then he realized that he forgot to write the author's name. So instead of putting it in, fitting it in somehow, going back to the beginning of the line, he started all over again. He rewrote the entire letter. Because whatever you have to do has to be attractive and good. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. With Simcha Cohen explains how to make compliments work. There's most of the time when people compliment each other, husband and wife, they don't always think too much about it. They just throw out words here and there. But really, to give a compliment, takes some thought. If you want to do the mitzvah to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to think about it. You have to give the right type of compliment. He brings an example where a couple comes in, and the husband says, she never compliments me. She never mentions any of my good qualities. Not a single thing I do for the family. And the wife says, I can't believe you just said that. I always show appreciation for him. So what happened here? The answer is, there's a breakdown of the communication. Most couples nowadays, if you ask them if their spouse compliments them, they'll say no. Why is that? Usually because the compliment is just technical. Let's say it off the cuff or it's vague, or it's trivial. But the truth is, a compliment is not given until the compliment has been heard. The other person has to hear it. It's not good enough that you say it. You have to say it in a way that the other person hears it. And that requires understanding what type of compliment the other person needs. For example, if you have someone who's very intellectual, and you compliment him what a great athlete he is, and how nice he looks he's going to take it as an insult because his main thing is intellectual. He wants to be complimented on how smart he is. Also, if a person is running for public office, he wants to hear what a great example he is, what a model for the community he is, not how great he plays basketball. One time, a husband came home from his parents and told his wife, wow, you should know my parents really complimented you. So she said, what did they say? She said, wow, what a great housekeeper you are. You get up early, you work so hard. So what did she answer? What? They think I'm a workhorse. They have have one good thing to say about me. So the compliment has to be fitting to what the person needs, their emotional needs. And one compliment is not enough. A person needs a lot of compliments. He brings Rav Chaim, who says on the Perk let your fellow's honor be as dear as it is to your own. So Rav Chaim explains, usually the person giving the compliment says, wow, I did a great job. I just gave that guy a compliment. But the one who received the compliment says, What? That's one-tenth of what I deserve. So what does it mean, let your fellow's honor be as dear as your own? You should compliment them ten times more because when you receive a compliment, you think it's nothing. So at least you should emphasize with your partner and give them ten times more compliments because that's what they need. We know that when you do chesed, When you want to do kindness to somebody, you have to give them according to their needs. In other words, if one time a guy was a rich guy and he lost all of his money, you have to help out this guy much more to bring him back to his level. You have to make him feel comfortable again. And the mob explains you can't refuse the guy on the ground say, oh, that's his problem. He's just spoiled. No, that's who he is. You have to help him according to what he needs. So too when it comes to compliments. If your spouse needs more compliments, you have to give them more. So there's no rule of how many compliments you're supposed to give. It all depends what the person needs. So Bizrat Hashem next week will continue and we will explain how to make the compliment fit. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with your friends and I'm asking as a personal favor to please leave a comment and a rating on iTunes. This is the only way that the podcast is going to spread. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMinterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.